0: Today is the feast of St. Michael. who's also my confirmation saint. So the epistle for today's Mass is taken from the book of the Apocalypse. In those days, God signified those things which must shortly come to pass, sending through his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to whatever he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is coming, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Please stand for the gospel. (coughs) The gospel is taken from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in their midst, and said, Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore humbles himself as this little child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such little child for my sake receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it were better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of scandals. For it must needs be that scandals come, but woe to the man through whom scandal does come. And if your hand or your foot is an occasion of sin to you, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye is an occasion of sin to you, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, For I tell you, their angels in heaven always behold the face of my Father in heaven. Please be seated. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, on on this day and in the next month, Holy Mother Church wants us to remember and focus upon the angels. Today is the feast of the archangels and especially the head of the archangels, St. Michael. This Wednesday is the feast of the guardian angels. And then in a few weeks after, on October the 24th, we will have the feast of Saint Raphael. The angels appear all over the place in scripture. They're ubiquitous in scripture. They are presented to us as being the servants and the assistants of God. And as such, they have many roles to perform being the assistance of God. Most frequently in the Bible, we see them as the messengers of God, and that's what the word angelus means, messenger. Time and again, the angels are sent to men to tell them the will of God. We know that the angel Gabriel goes to Zachary to tell him about the birth of John the Baptist. He goes to Our Lady to announce the birth of Our Lord. Then on four occasions, uh, an angel goes to St. Joseph To instruct him in what he's to do in his guidance of the Holy Family. Then an angel comes to the shepherds in Bethlehem to notify them about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just in the New Testament we find angels everywhere, it's also in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament the angels were accustomed to have conversations with the prophets, with David and Elias, with Daniel and Zacharias, we also know that in the book of Tobias, the angel Raphael is sent to be a guide for the young Tobias in his journey that he's to make. And the angel Raphael guides the family of Tobias into um, all these things that concern his marriage and the curing of his father. In the book of Daniel, there's an interesting uh, situation where an angel takes a prophet by his hair the prophet Habakkuk, and he transports the prophet Habakkuk by his hair to a cave where the prophet Daniel is being held prisoner. And he has the prophet Habakkuk bring Daniel some food so that he can survive in that cave where he's being locked up. On other occasions in the Old Testament, we read about the angels going to battle for the chosen people. The angels, as it were, go to war in order to defend the interests of God's people. This is especially the case when we read about them slaying the entire Babylonian army, the entire Babylonian army, hundreds of thousands, maybe 185,000 or something soldiers are camped out in front of the walls of Jerusalem, and overnight and the, the angels of God go out and slay the entire army. And as interesting as these roles of the angels are, whether it it be them uh, fulfilling their role as messenger or being sort of warriors for the chosen people or them having conversation with the prophets or providing food for the prophets, I want to focus today on another office that the angels fulfilled and perhaps the most important office of them all. And this is the role of the angels in conducting the heavenly worship of God. The angels in charge of the heavenly liturgy. The book of the Apocalypse describes, as it were, the liturgy of heaven and it mentions this role that the angels play as as the leaders of that of that liturgy. In today's epistle um, we have St. John talking about the seven angels who stand before the throne of God. So the angels are like the servers of the heavenly liturgy and the singers of the heavenly liturgy. That's why throughout the Psalms, many places in the Psalms, we find this, this repetition of, uh, the psalmist telling the angels, give praise to God, bless God, give glory to God. The psalmist is, is saying that over and over in many of the different Psalms, and the, this is why the church can choose them for the office of today. The book of the Apocalypse speaks about the angels using incense that the angels are thoroughfers in the heavenly liturgy. Another angel came, says St. John in the Apocalypse, and stood before the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given to him much incense that he should offer of the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which is before the throne of God. And this vision of the angels lifting up incense Symbolizing the prayers of the faithful is similar to a vision that is recounted in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah receives his call to be a prophet when he saw the cherubim and the seraphim, the highest choirs of angels standing before the throne of God. The only time in the gospel, in the, in the Bible where the cherubim and the seraphim are mentioned. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and elevated, says the prophet Isaiah. And his train filled the temple. Upon it stood the seraphim. The one had six wings, and the other had six wings. With two they covered the face of God. With two, sorry, the face of the angel. With two they covered his feet, and with two they flew. And they cried out one to another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. All the earth is full of of his glory. And the lintels of the door were moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house that was filled with smoke. Think about the respect that the angels had for God. Think about them conducting this heavenly liturgy, these pure spirits in their pure worship of God, them bowing down before God Almighty, who is eternal, who is their creator, the submission that they render to him, the praise and glory that they give to him in the heavenly courts. These descriptions of the heavenly liturgy, while they're very beautiful, at the same time, they contain descriptions that are a bit mysterious. They portray the angels in an anthropomorphic fashion. They, They make the angels resemble us, sort of so that we can understand something of the heavenly liturgy. They represent the angels as being like human beings to some respect. So they speak about the angels having wings, whereas we know that, that the angels are pure spirits and they don't, they don't have bodies, so they, so they can't have wings. The wings, of course, are symbolizing the, the alacrity of the angels, the rapidity of the angels. They move so quickly. They speak of the angels as having voices, whereas we know that the angels do not have vocal cords. You've got to have a body to have vocal cords, and they don't have bodies. But even though they're pure spirits and and they don't have vocal cords, we do know that they are able to have a great control over material things, Um, much more control than we can have over material things. We see this in the book of Tobias in the sense that the angel Raphael is able to take just matter and is able to form it into a human body in such a way that it can't be mistaken for a human body. I mean, it's easily mistaken for a human body. Tobias thinks that this is just a normal human being. He doesn't know it's an angel. But we know that's not the body of Raphael. He's just taken matter and he's formed it into a body. So the angels have a great control over matter, and so they're able to make material things, produce sounds. This must be the sense in which the angels are said to sing. We know that when when we have this story of the the angels appearing to the shepherds in Bethlehem, at first there's just one shepherd, that appears and announces this great joy that a Savior is born to the people. But then suddenly, a whole group of angels, all these angels appear, and they're singing. They're singing the gloria that we sing at Mass. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men of goodwill. We must learn, when reflecting upon this heavenly liturgy, We must learn to think of that heavenly liturgy that's conducted by the angels as the model of our own liturgy and of our own mass and of what takes place here in this church. We know that the purpose of the liturgy is to fulfill those petitions of the Our Father. Hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are meant to reproduce here on earth, at least in this space, at least for a certain period of time, what is going on in heaven. And that's why we purposely create this space, this church, that is only for heavenly things, that's specifically designed for supernatural things, for giving this worship and this glory to God. What takes place here are activities that are wholly directed to the supernatural. The church is for accomplishing the business of heaven and for that alone. We know that the priest when he goes out into the world he wears black and that's to symbolize that he's dead to the world. But when he comes into the church and he performs the liturgy he wears white. It's because he's in heaven. At least he's in what represents heaven on this earth. He wears a garment of joy when he's in the midst of the liturgy, because the church is meant to model heaven. That's why our Sunday Mass represents or resembles the descriptions of what is taking place before the throne of God. In heaven, there's chanting and songs of praise. Here, there's chanting and songs of praise. There's incense rising up in heaven. There's also incense rising up here. There's this atmosphere of holiness and sacredness. There's beauty, richness, and splendor that we may hope befits the glory of God. We are worshiping our God, the supreme good, from whom all that we have comes. We want to solemnize our worship as much as possible, and so we have these very elaborate ceremonies that attempt, as far as possible in our human way, to give God the honor that is due to him. We want to honor God, our God, as much as we can. We want what we do here to resemble what is taking place in heaven as far as we are able. And we know that even the angels themselves leave heaven as it were and come to be present when we have Mass here in the church. That this is why we often have angels depicted next to our altars, that just to symbolize the fact that. That we believe that the angels are here amongst us, that the church triumphant and the church militant somehow merge together at the moment of the Mass, that certain members of heaven come down on earth and join the church militant in the worship, because what's taking place here is the same thing that's taking place in heaven. We can see from this the importance of a solemn liturgy in comparison to a simple liturgy, because A sung mass is more solemn than a low mass. It's better able to give glory to God and to resemble that worship of heaven. At a sung mass, we can have the incense and we can have the singing that we read about in the scripture. The angels are offering that incense to God. They're filling the temple of heaven with smoke, and we are doing the same here below. The angels are uniting in chorus, singing that Gloria in Excelsis Deo, singing that Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus of the cherubim and the seraphim, and we're doing the exact same here below. Our patron, St. Pius X, he mentions how the singing enhances the liturgy. He says, sacred music as a complementary part of the solemn liturgy shares in the overall purpose of the liturgy, the glory of God and the sanctification the edification of the faithful. Sacred music contributes to the decorum and the splendor of the ceremonies of the church. Now, it's obvious we can't have a sung Mass every single day. There's no way. We just don't have the resources. It requires a schola. It requires all the servers. It requires much more resources than a low Mass has. So we have the low Masses during the week. Plus, there's considerations, practical considerations of time. We we don't have all that time available. We're not monks. It is, however, fitting to have a sung Mass on the Sunday because of the fact that this is the one day of the week that we set aside for God alone, where we really want to go all out in our worship and praise of God, where we really want our liturgy to resemble that heavenly liturgy as much as possible, this is the day when you put on your Sunday best and you really have this desire to give God your time and honor him as far as you are able. You know, here at St. Isidore, because of, of the shortness of priests. We have, we have so few priests. We're only able to have one mass on Sunday. And sometimes that's, that's an inconvenience for our faithful. Wouldn't it be nice if you had multiple mass times to choose from? You weren't just stuck with the 9 o'clock mass every Sunday. Wouldn't it be nice if you had, didn't have to um, come to a sung mass all the time? Maybe you would have the opportunity of going to a low mass and a sung mass. You know, there's a lot of parishes out there where they have three or four masses, and they, ha- they get to choose. And in many cases, there's many more people at the, at the low mass than there are at, at the sung mass. But... Such as it is, I mean, this is this is what the providence has willed for our, for our chapel. Um, we, we we don't have yet all the resources to have multiple masses on Sunday, and we have to we have to be here. What we must do is we must take advantage of that providential arrangement. One thing that takes place is that we are all here for mass on Sunday. This is this is our parish. On Sunday we all worship together as a parish. We all join together in our worship of God, and this is this is more significant than if we were split up between different masses. We're not all worshiping together. And another thing as well is that we we are are all required to to spend more time at mass. It's just the the, the nature of of the thing that we only have one mass. We're all required to make that extra investment, and it's it's a bit of a sacrifice, um, as I mentioned. At the same time, if you embrace this sacrifice um, and you enter into that spirit of really desiring to worship God as much as you can on Sunday, really to give your heart, your whole heart, body, mind, soul, and strength to God on the Sunday, how many graces will not come upon you and your family by submitting to this providential arrangement? Think of all those people who have to travel a very long way to to get to mass to to their mission chapel, perhaps they just get um a a, a low mass the, the 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 mash and and dash priest he comes he he says the low mass and he has to run off to to somewhere else. They make so many sacrifices just to be there. well you know as I say, God has given you the opportunity to make a little bit of a sacrifice here because we're not able to have so many masses so many options yet at the same time you are somewhat close so you know I just as as your as your pastor, I want to encourage you to be generous with that. When we understand how at Mass we are worshiping God as He is worshipped in heaven, we also understand how important it is for us to participate in our traditional liturgy. And this is the most important part of this sermon of, of that I want to encourage you to participate in the Mass as much as you are able to see that you are able to give to God that fuller worship, that fuller honor, to have in your heart this desire to worship him as much as you are able when you come to Mass. Just as the angels of heaven are all joining in the worship of God, so too you are all expected to be joining in. The liturgy is assuming this. Our traditional liturgy is assuming that you're joining in and that that's why you are here and what you want to do. Constantly throughout the Mass, the priest turns around to speak to you almost to make sure that you're there, to make sure you're paying attention, that you're uniting with him in the divine worship, reminding you that that's why you're here. You're meant to unite with the priest. When he says, Dominus Vobiscum, the Lord be with you, he expects an answer. He wants an answer from the faithful for them to reaffirm that they're there and that you're uniting with him. And when the time comes for asking God's mercy in the Curiae, or praising God in the Gloria and the Sanctus for professing our faith in the Credo, there's not meant to be a single voice that is silent because we're worshiping together. Pius XI says in one of his encyclicals, It is very necessary that the faithful attend the sacred ceremonies not as if they were outsiders or mute onlookers, but let them fully appreciate the beauty of the liturgy and take part in the sacred ceremonies, alternating their voices with the priest and the choir, according to the prescribed norms. And then Pius XII, he says, A congregation that is devoutly present at the sacrifice in which our Savior, together with his children, redeemed with his sacred blood, sings the nuptial hymn of his immense love, cannot keep silent, for song befits the lover." Some of the most beautiful moments of my entire priesthood have been traveling to places where I cannot speak the language of the people, places like China or Korea or India. And yet, at the moment of the liturgy, when we have a sung mass, and you hear these people, these Asians, who are very remote from the Latin language, from Gregorian chant, they have this intense love for that Catholic liturgy. They have adopted it wholly, and they are raising their voices as an entire congregation, even if it's only just 20 people or 40 people, all their voices. And at that moment, even though we are from very different countries, very different backgrounds, we are completely united in that worship of God. And this is what our Catholic liturgy provides for us. It provides us a setting wherein we're able to give our whole being to this worship of God, to fulfill the very purpose for our existence in the highest way possible. What a blessing it is for us. Here at St. Isidore, sometimes it's difficult because our school and our choir are so good. I mean, I have the temptation to just sit down and, and listen. It's, it's so wonderful to listen to, to their singing. They do such a fantastic job. And the temptation is to, to feel like I'm at a concert performance and you just sit and, and listen to them performing. We want to sit back and, and enjoy the nice singing. But it is important, as I say, that, that we not slip into that, that we not fall into that temptation, that we have the desire to make our contribution to the liturgy, that we show our membership in the church militant by the chant coming forth from our voices, that we see ourselves, as it were, commissioned by the church, just as God commissioned the angels to sing before the throne of God. You faithful with baptismal character marking your souls are commissioned by the church to fill up this church with your voices, to enrich the worship of God with your singing. And it's my dream that one day, perhaps, our entire church may resound with the singing of the faithful especially at the creed, that we may, as it were, raise the roof with our sung professions of faith and our adorations of God. At this very moment, the angels and the saints are giving praise and homage to God in heaven, and at this very moment, we are here on earth doing exactly the same thing. Let us be conscious of this fact. Let us strive with all of our hearts to give God the glory that is due to him. The first purpose of the Mass, says Pope Pius XII, is to give glory to the Heavenly Father. To perpetuate this praise, the members of the mystical body are united with their divine head in the Eucharistic sacrifice, and with him, together with the angels and the archangels, they sing immortal praise to God and give all honor and glory to the Father Almighty. May these words be fulfilled for us here at St. Isidore's.